Hello everybody, welcome to Coffee Time. I am your host, Byron. Alongside me via StreamYard is former Major Leaguer Mark Little. Uh, we're on broadcasting right now on YouTube Live and available the next day on all major podcasting apps like Google, Spotify, I, Apple, you name it, etc. All the podcasting we are available. But this is episode number 81. Thank you, Mark, for joining us tonight. Thanks, how Byron. are you? Did you say how am I? Yep. I'm doing pretty good. I was uh, on the road this week for work, so I'm glad that we could make this time. I know. It, it took the longest time, didn't it, to try and figure something out? It did. And, it, you know, it's so crazy because it's kind of like, you know, I don't really have a normal nine to five. It's kind of like a six to six. And you kind of take it as it comes with yeah. uh, medical devices. And so usually my nighttime hours are, uh, you know, revolve around having a dinner with a doc or, you know, meetings or labs. So and we just couldn't make it work. And I'm glad tonight works. I know, right? The same here. And yeah, and I'm lucky because I don't work during the night. So I, I used to. But thank God I don't do that anymore because I got to be around for my two and five year olds. So right, well, that's good. You're a good dad. <laughs> So let's hop to it. You've been through the interviews before. You're no shame to it. You've been through it as a player. So let's begin. Uh, I know you said you don't keep track of the uh, keep track of the game like you did. You didn't as a player either. But I know it's got a matter of postseason that a team has to be hot coming in. Does that is that how a team can win the World Series? Is if they stay hot like Atlanta did because they were in last place they were in last place come all-star break last year same as the nationals did in 2019 and mm-hmm. they won the world series so is that the key to win a world series is whoever oh, yeah. is whoever's I, you know, hot yeah you know i can go back to the 06 2006 was the last year i played and uh, one of my good friends gary bennett was a backup catcher on that 06 team to yadi or molina and mm-hmm. yadi was hurt and you know gary played some incredible mm. baseball in the you know months of july you know while you know yadi was nursing an injury and and i think i saw the last game of the year i think the reds maybe no the brewers were in town because dave bell i think was playing for the brewers dave bell's uh brother of you know mike bell who was my best friend in, in baseball who passed away mm-hmm. um in 21 mm-hmm. i watched that game and and the only reason the Cardinals got in the playoffs that year was because somebody lost, like the Cubs lost and, you know, the Cardinals lost and they kind of limped into the playoffs. And I think they played um, first round that year and then they had to go play the Mets. And I can remember Gary and I being on the phone in 2011, we, we would, we would sit on the phone and watch those, World Series games between the Cardinals and the and the Rangers, yeah. and you know, you know, talking about like what I see, you know, as a base stealer, outfielder, what Gary saw as a catcher, you know, obviously, you know, stealing signs is a big part of baseball. It's you know, kind of a unwritten rule that if you're not trying to, mm-hmm. you know, pick up another team's sign. I mean, I'm not talking about having a closed circuit camera. Uh, but I'm talking about being at second base and getting signs and relaying signs to a header and, 
so it was a lot of fun to watch Gary, but I can remember asking him, like, I mean, how in the hell did you guys do it that year? And he just said, well, we knew we knew we could beat the Dodgers. And we thought the Mets were going to be tough, but once we got past the Mets, I mean, it was just game on. And so there is a rhythm and a and a feel in that locker room and on in that dugout. And when it is positive, and I've I've been on some championship teams, uh, two thousand uh, Redbirds down in Memphis, and then before Buffalo Bisons. And when it's hot, it's hot, and there's not a team in the world that can walk in your park and beat you. Now, now. You were a part of that 06 team I, when you just brought it up. I, that brings back a total flashback now. I remember it. Were you guys scared after Indy Chavez made that catch? Oh, I wasn't part of that 06 team. Oh, I was weren't. on my couch. Oh, okay, um, okay. That's I was living in Illinois at the time. No, I thought Gary, you were. Cause, cause no, I know Gary was a part of that team. And so, yeah, I mean, I watched those games with intent. Whenever you have a player that – I mean, I, you know, I, I play with Albert Pujols, so it's still great to watch him, you know, go after and chase records. And, you know, it's, you know, he's one of the last ones standing that, yeah. you know, was a guy that's still playing, I'll say, from my era. Um, but, no, Gary, I mean, you should get Gary on this podcast. I'm sure Gary can tell you some great stories. Yeah, I'm, about I'm, I'm trying to get out to him, but I've gotten no luck so far. Probably no, I'll because, get him. I'll get him on your call. Probably, I'll get him on. probably because he works for the Cardinals, and I'm, I'm sure they've been hush-hush since the lockout. I don't think they're uh, allowed no. Well, yeah. he does. I mean, he's actually employed by a medical device company, Smith & Nephew. So, um, you know, I helped him. Uh, I had gotten into medical device before Gary, and so mm-hmm. had kind of – I don't, I don't think I really tutored him on the interview process, but, uh, you know, Gary has been in medical device for a while. Gary would love to come on your show. Perfect. Thank you. I'd appreciate that. We'll, uh, we'll exchange that after the show and, uh, we'll talk about it in future reference, but let's get right to it. Like you said, I thought you, that's why I brought that up because you mentioned 06. So I thought you were, you retire in 06. So I thought you were on that team, but you said you were on your couch, but you, you do you remember? Do you remember that couch? Uh, I mean, do you remember that play with Indy Chavez in '06? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, I think it's just one of those things where, you know, there's all kinds of you know hills and valleys or peaks and valleys throughout a season and throughout a game even. And so, you know, I think that just shows you how powerful it is. Like when you think you can beat somebody, you're going to beat them. And you know, baseball is. I mean, it's so difficult and there's so many challenges. And, and I think the mental, you know, hurdles that we face as players or we faced as players. I mean, once you can overcome those, I mean, the physical things, you know, come pretty easy. Yeah, I think that was like one of the final years of um, Shea Stadium before they built City, wasn't it? Before they built City Field? I don't know why I feel like City Field came around in like 2009 or 2010. It was but somewhere it was, around there, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, like it was definitely the the last of the good, you know, Met teams, you know, obviously, um, you know, the Mets have kind of had a tough run of things, but, uh, yeah, no, that was a fun series to watch. I mean, it was fun to watch Adam Wainwright come in and close, you know, I'd faced him, you know, Oh five, Oh six and triple a, and, you know, really, a you know, creative crafty pitcher kind of relied heavily on the sinker and he comes into that game and he's throwing like 96, 97. So, I mean, pretty awesome stuff to watch. So you played for the University of Memphis in college before you Memphis left. State. Oh, okay. So 
Well, I'm dating myself. It was Memphis State. It was Memphis State. Okay. So you were, we were the last team so, that played Memphis State. So you played you played there. What was your what was your uh stay that how'd your stay go there before you ended up getting drafted by the Rangers? Well, I'm I'm really proud of the fact I went to junior college. Um, you know, there's a lot of you know, I, I think I've talked to enough parents and used to do a lot of hitting lessons uh, mm-hmm. when I was back in Illinois with my good friend, Tim Funkhauser, who um, is the head coach at Edwardsville high school. And it has had a really successful run over there. Won a state championship mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, great, great baseball mind. His dad had a great baseball mind. And, mm-hmm. and so I think, you know, I went to, I was trying to play basketball and baseball in college mm-hmm. and every opportunity that I had to play basketball, they had a crummy baseball team. Mm-hmm. and vice versa and and so i ended up going to lakeland college in mattoon illinois um and you know that was the the greatest experience that you know i've i've had i think well especially up to that point but you go from you know a very few college coaches kind of watching you play in high school and you know obviously when you come up against a big arm or you know, a, a guy with a big bat, you get some pro scouts, but, you know, junior college is flooded with, you know, professional scouts and mm-hmm. you know, every day, you know, there's six or seven guys, you know, watching you play. And, and so I felt like that experience kind of put me onto the map. I could run and there was a lot of people that didn't know I could run. Um, you know, I, I had a plus arm and, you know, I could hit for power as a leadoff guy. So uh, that was a great experience. And, and, I was really fortunate because I signed with Memphis or, you know, Memphis state back then Mm -hmm. uh, during my uh, freshman season and my sophomore season in the second game of the year, I had a compound fracture, open dislocation of my left long finger. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't play for a month. And when I came back playing, I had to like wrap Theraputty into my bat just so I could hold on to the bat with my hand. And I, I mean, I still can't, like bend my fingers all the way together. And mm-hmm. so I was fortunate to have gotten that opportunity after my freshman year um, because I didn't really have that great of a sophomore, you know, campaign. So I uh, went down to Memphis and made some really, really good friends. We had two really good teams in 93 and 94. I think we won 42 games in 1993 and then won 52 mm-hmm. my senior year. And so got a chance to go to the regional back when there were, uh, only eight regionals. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had eight regionals with, you know, obviously six teams in each one. So it was, you know, a lot different than it is now, but um, you know, hoorah for college baseball right now with the uh, lockout and, you know, right. the, I mean, great. Right. Those guys are going to get a ton of, you know, publicity. Now I got to ask you before we jump into, before you got drafted in 94 out of the amateur draft by the Rangers, I got to ask you, because you, you were called up by the Cardinals. You spent the team with the team in 98. Right. With the home run chase with McGuire and Sosa. What do you remember about that home run chase? And do you think that was good for the game? Because oh. I know that was defined as the steroid era and always will be. I think it will be because that's unfortunately how my error will be determined is with steroids, unfortunately. But do you think that helped or hurt the game knowing that they took steroids? Um, I don't think it. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I, I, 
I think after that, you know, obviously we got to go down the line to when Ken Caminiti came out and said, you know, that he took steroids, you know, during his um, MVP campaign. And I, I think I walked into the clubhouse in San Diego and I wasn't a big, you know, flip on the TV guy and watch the news or plus you're in San Diego, California. And I mean, I think I woke up that day and went and ate breakfast, like down by the beach and walked around. It's such a beautiful, you know, city. Yeah. Um, And so here I am walking around all day. That that was one of the places where you could actually take the the train to the, to the field back when they played at Qualcomm. uh, Qualcomm. Qualcomm, Yeah. And I remember walking into the clubhouse that day and they were like 20 reporters um, in the clubhouse. And, and it was usually me or Juan Pierre were typically the first two guys that got Juan to the clubhouse. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. Juan Pierre is awesome. Um, but I remember walking in and one of our beat writers, I don't know why I want to say it was Troy rank or, you know, it wasn't Tracy Ringlesby um, or Mike Kliss. So I want to say it was a guy, I think it was Troy rank, but I'm, I could be screwing that up. But I remember him coming up and saying, Hey, you know, and kind of sticking a microphone in my face or a recorder and, and asking me about, did I hear about Ken Caminetti? And I just said, <laughs> no, I, I haven't heard anything about Ken Caminetti. And he, he said, well, do you live under a rock? And I said, no. And, and he said, well, you didn't put on the TV today. And I said, no, I'm like, why would I put on the TV? I'm in San Diego. I mean, it's beautiful here. I'm walking around, you know, never even thought about it. And yeah. usually don't pick up paper till I get to the field, but when that came out and it was kind of like guys were shocked that, you know, they had found out that Ken Caminetti had taken steroids. And I guess maybe I assumed that he had taken steroids and I had assumed that there were other players that had taken steroids. And so I, I made some comments and I remember one of my trainers coming up and just saying, you need to watch what you say and how you say it because people are, you know, going to come to you because they're going to think you're an authority on this. I'm like, I'm not an authority on it, but you know, I, I guess in my mind, I just, you know, steroids doesn't, you know, help you hit a baseball and Barry Bonds did unbelievable, crazy things. And yeah. I, I, I saw him in a weight room and I saw him on a field, take batting practice. And he hit number 25 off of John Thompson that year that he hit 73. And I didn't even see it. I didn't see it go over my head. I just remember thinking in my head, I hate that I'm thinking this, John, but I hope to God it goes out because I don't see the ball. Mm-hmm. And it landed in, you know, you know, McCovey Cove and, you know, the rest was history. And he went on to hit 73 home runs. But, you know, the 98 home run chase with Sammy and Mark was unbelievable. And I was very grateful to the Cardinals that, you know, my first day in the big leagues was the day that McGuire hit 62 and, there's a funny story there because the only reason that I got called up is because yeah, that they was were, when that was when he broke uh, Maris's record, right? Sixty-one. Yeah, yeah sixty. He had, uh, he had already tied Maris the I think it was the night before or maybe two games before that. Maybe he'd win a game and didn't hit one, and then we got called up, mm-hmm. and JD Drew was on my team in AAA. And Galen Pitts called me into his office and said, hey, you know, they're going to call you up. And I'd had a bad hamstring. And they said, you know, it's going to be contingent, you know, activating you is going to be contingent upon you passing a physical. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, I understand that. But he's like, hey, we got a favor to ask. They were like, there are no hotel rooms in St. Louis. And J.D. Drew is getting called up, too. And would you and your, you know, it was 
my fiance at the time, but you know, now my wife, but it was like, will you, you know, will you guys take JD to St. Louis and can he stay with you at your in-laws? Because we were staying at our, at my wife's parents' house. And so that I, I joke that the only reason I got called up was because JD Drew needed a place to stay that night. That's, so. no, that's another good player too. He lasted a while oh, too. Unbelievable. I thought he was going to be the next Mickey Mantle. I did too. He was a good player. I watched. I watched. I, I watched him when he first got called up. Yeah. So. Yeah. Just I, country strong. I, I know. He's another one that I've been trying to get a two on here too. So. Oh shoot! Yeah, yeah I don't really talk to JD too much. I can't. I, don't I know, know if he's I can a tough guy to get a hold of. If if JD sees this, what? So JD, myself, and Placido Polanco were all on a baseball card together. And the only reason, the only way JD would sign the card is if I had already signed it because I was real big on like people saying please and thank you and yeah. being, you know, good people. And, and so if JD had seen that I had signed it, JD would typically uh, sign it as well. So if he sees that I did this podcast, maybe that'll be your, maybe, your hook. But yeah, on. he's tough to get a hold of. Like, I bet he is. He I is. bet he's. He is. He's like, like you say, he's out there somewhere out there like you said country strong so he's out there somewhere doing yeah something. <laughs> he's probably somewhere in south georgia that's so, my guess so now i gotta ask you then since we got into that you were part of that chase it was amazing that year that you were called up between uh-huh. so, between sosa uh now when they competed against each other when he i think it was when he hit what was it I think it was I don't know if it was seventy or something. It was at Bush. It was at Bush and he was against Sosa. Yeah. And it was with uh Sosa was on the other side, I think. Yeah. Were you there were you there for that or were you were you I was. You, I was I was there for home runs sixty two through seventy. Okay. So, so what Yeah, what, it was there were a lot of weird things that happened that year because I remember there was like a rain delay and and it should have been a complete game, but McGuire was still in it, and yet they still did a continuation. Maybe that was a game against like Pittsburgh. Like they they did some little fluffy things with the rules that they wouldn't have typically done. But I went back and watched that uh, show, and it had to have been during COVID because I think that's when it aired. Um, but I you know like I I don't think I realized at the time that Sammy you know was actually ahead of him by you know, three or four home runs at one point. Obviously, I mean, if you've ever been to Wrigley Field in the summertime, but that wind starts blowing out of the south and, you know, the balls just fly. Um, And so, you know, I I think it's pretty amazing that, you know, Sosa, because he was hot and, I, you know, that he didn't, you know, win that home run race. But you could just see the camaraderie. And, I mean, obviously, when he had that home run, Sammy's coming, you know, out of right field. And, you know, they're doing the McGuire, you know, punch to the gut, you know, deal. And How'd you feel feel when he tied it? When he tied um, McGuire when you guys uh, faced off that year? Yeah, I I don't know. It was, like, that is a blur to me. I I don't remember that. Like, you tell me that he did it, and I believe you, but... I don't remember that. It, I mean, it was such a weird situation for me because I, you know, had come up a ranger. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I would have come up a ranger and been on, you know, in the dugout and Will Clark was in a home run race like that. It would have been awesome because, you know, I had been on, you know, a van ride with Will Clark, you know, 
getting a start in left field in a game in Sarasota and I get a ride back with the starters, you know, like with Will Clark and Bobby Witt. And, you know, I felt like I belonged in that organization. And once I came to the Cardinals, there were guys that, you know, Joe McEwing had gotten called up that year and I'd played against Joe McEwing in the minor leagues. And, um, I played against Louis Ordaz and I played against Placido Polanco and they were all up at that time. And there were a handful of pitchers that I had played against, but I wasn't, I didn't know anybody. And I, the only person I really knew was JD and, you know, we would sit together on the planes that, but I remember when McGuire broke the record 62, the last two guys that were in the dugout were me and JD. Mm. And we were like, well, I, I guess we need to go out on the field and, and, you know, slap hands with them. But I can remember like, you know, throwing up a hand and McGuire didn't give me five back. And then, you know, four different times passing him in the dugout, he gave me five. I mean, he was excited. And I mean, I think that that's powerful when, you know, somebody like him and, you know, he is an amazing guy. He really is. And, that whole time in September, every day you'd show up in the locker room, there would be like a bag from somewhere. And it was probably somebody that said, hey, Mark, we're going to give you, you know, some shirts or whatever. And he was like, no, you're not going to give me shirts. You're going to give if you're going to give me something, you're giving all my teammates. And right. that's what they did. And, you know, I remember watching him like he would take an ice bath after every game and they would just stack baseballs up in boxes in front of him and mm. he would just sign and sign and sign. And I guess that whole time I've never been a big autograph guy. Um, and I remember asking, uh, somebody about that and they were just like, yeah, he's just signing baseballs. And at the end of the season, I had a, a, a bag in my locker and I was like, well, what'd we get today? Kind of deal. And, you know, here was a dozen signed Mark McGuire baseballs. So, who does that? I mean, you know, he's just, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I really felt like, uh, you know, he was a special guy really in that time. And, you know, it's really sad. I think that, you know, you know, that Senate hearing and listening to all that stuff, it's just like, come on. First of all, what's the Senate doing getting involved in anything? I mean, they can't even run the country right. That um, was a, yeah, that was a disgrace to the game of baseball in 05. I yeah. remember that. You had Palmero, you had Clemens. Um, who else did you have on that? McGuire, Sammy yeah, there. Sammy. Before he yeah. before he went to totally changing his skin color. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so yeah, I, I remember Paul Merrill. I remember Sosa. I remember McGuire, um, for sure. And I know there were a couple other guys, you know, that testified. But you know that you know it, it stinks that you know that kind of. You know, and, and I guess I've heard this story before, but I think, you know, obviously somebody from Balco and it was more about the Olympics than it was about professional baseball. I think professional baseball yeah. just kind of drug in. Yeah. yeah. Basically, some trainer showed up with a syringe and said, if you're not testing for this, you're never going to catch anybody. Yeah. And, you know, so and I, you know, I, you know, obviously that was human growth hormone um, at the time. So it's a crazy time and I, there's always all these tons of debates. Um, you know, you know, we, we do get a chance to take part because of somebody who, you know, obviously now, um, you know, gets a, a vote for the hall of fame, but he's extended it to a lot of former players and, 
you know, I think resoundingly the, the, the peers, you know, you know, I think there's a couple people that are still just kind of anti that whole steroid thing, but you know, most of the people that I know, you know, they vote those guys in, you know, voting, you know, Clemens and, you know, McGuire and Sosa. And I mean, the things that they've done for the game of baseball, it's, you know, it's incredible. Now, I mean, speaking, I don't know. Spe- speaking of that, I got to ask you then, do you feel like as a former player yourself, even though that you know they took steroids, do you think personally they should be in the Hall of Fame? I think they should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I steroids have been around for a long time. I mean, who's to say that people weren't taking steroids back in the 50s and 60s and 70s? I mean, I don't. you never know. I mean, and I don't think anybody else knows, but, you know, I think it's pretty easy for people to deflect and to say, oh, well, that was the steroid era. It's like, was it the steroid era? Was, was it always around? Like, you know, you know, like, you know, I think somebody asked me, you're like, well, did you ever see anybody take steroids? I'm like, no, I didn't see anybody take steroids. I never saw somebody in the locker room, like taking steroids, but, you know, I think it's just one of those deals with, you know, how the game has evolved and obviously the money. I mean, I don't think any of the owners cared that players were taking steroids or like they cared about their health or well-being you know they just wanted to drive you know arbitration down they didn't want people to be or they didn't want people to be eligible for arbitration at three years and i think that was the the standard that that testing was there, there's my 18 year old wichita state uh commit screaming and yelling but <laughs> The, uh, but, you know, obviously it was kind of like one of those deals where it was like, hey, we'll use this. If we can use this as, as, you know, some sort of bargaining chip and players are like, yeah, test away. And I think that year, I, I think the number, I don't know if it had to be like 5% and the number ended up being like 7% or something of people testing positive. And, you know, that list was leaked and um, I don't think there was anybody on it. I don't think Palmero got caught until afterwards like i don't think he got yeah. caught in spring training yeah, I, yeah. he didn't get caught, I caught him in may I, I watched his special that mississippi state thing with will clark which was pretty powerful stuff and you know so i don't know it's just like where can you gain some sort of competitive advantage you know as an owner to the players or you know i don't know I, you know I, I think every year they'll say that like well basketball is going to be a mess if they can't figure out their work deal and then they they work it out football if they can't figure it out nobody's going to watch football and baseball that's happened to them multiple times i was part of the you know i i, I think in 94 it was a the players walking out it was um, yeah they walked and, out the owners yeah and so but i you know i can remember all of a sudden i was playing in the new york pen league that year and like we show up we don't have any baseballs we don't have any bats and you're just kind of like, what am I doing? You know, it's like you, you've worked your whole life to get to this point, And now you're somewhere and there's a labor dispute and you're in a position where, you know, your GM is like running around trying to find baseball bats. So you have something to swing and uh, they don't have enough. They don't have any baseballs, So they're trying to get baseballs from whoever they can source baseballs from. So, you know, I feel like my entire career, there was always something. And I'm sure that's how everybody feels. But. Um, I can remember that first year in spring training when, you know, they brought in a bunch of replacement players and, you know, AKA scabs, but I can remember they brought in a bunch of prospects to kind of shelter, hide some of those people that they were asking to cross the picket line. And I remember, you know, Reed Nichols, who was my player development guy asking me to cross and my agent had told me, you know, you tell them no. 
And when I said no, I remember him saying, well, you don't want to show Johnny Oates what you can do. And I said, do you mean, do you want me to show Johnny Oates what I can do against Major League Baseball players or against replacement players? And so, you know, I kind of, you know, stood firm and I can remember working out with the AAA group and there were a bunch of guys who when then, you know, Doug Melvin came out and was talking and basically said, you know, if, you know, we're the ones that pay your checks. We're the ones that, you know, give you an opportunity to play baseball. And if you're going to not cross that picket line, don't let that gate hit you in the ass. And I can remember guys getting up and walking out. And I was just, I mean, I was 21 years old going, holy crap. And then I was like, I think I'm in the wrong meeting. I, I don't think I was supposed to be in this meeting. And I wasn't. But I was so thankful that I was because I, I think I really saw the business side of the game. And I can remember calling my mom after practice that day or after we got off the fields and saying, I will not do this forever. I will not, you know, this baseball doesn't define me. I mean, it's great. It tells some, you know, crazy stories. And it's fun now with my 18-year-old son. And, you know, he asks a lot of questions. But I knew that there was something else for me that, you know, it, I wasn't going to be a lifelong baseball guy. So let's get back to, yeah, like you said, you got drafted in 94 by the Rangers during that lockout year. Um, did you think you were going to go where you were at in the draft? Or did you think you might have gone a little bit higher? higher yeah, than what you were projecting. I, I, I thought I would have gone higher. I, I had a really good junior year at Memphis State. And, you know, people can say what they want about, you know, well, you were in the great Midwest conference or whatever. And, you know, obviously we're not seeing the same arms, but there were obviously a lot of guys that were pretty prolific college players that got drafted higher than me that I ended up playing with and, you know, played longer than some of them. And um, so I can remember having that conversation after my junior year when they thought I was going to get drafted and I didn't get drafted. And I can remember them telling me, if you don't get a million dollars, you're, you know, there's no way for, you know, why would you sign if you're not going to get a million dollars? And so I thought I was going to get drafted high after my junior year and didn't get drafted at all. And then my senior year, I had already made plans that I was going to walk onto the football team and return punts. And so I was telling coaches and I was telling uh, trainers that, if I don't get drafted this year, I'm playing football for my fifth year of eligibility mm-hmm. because I was tired of watching guys field punts and fair catch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shoot. I mean, I know I can make one move and get seven to 10 yards. Right. And uh, so it was, you know, obviously that didn't happen and I ended up getting drafted and um, you know, it's a, it's a crazy time. There's a lot of talk right now going around Twitter, you know, there's minor league guys posting their W2s and talking about how little money they made. And, you know, shoot, I was, I made eight fifty a month that first year of pro ball and made a thousand dollars the next year in high a, you know, made, I think I made 1450, I think in double a, and then got on the roster. And I remember that year I made 14,500 bucks and I just thought I was the richest man in the world. So, um, well, yeah, in that time, that was a lot of money. Well, I, I really wasn't because I can remember, I don't think they took money out your first check, but your second check of the year, they take out the taxes from your spring training money that they gave you if you didn't make the big team. And I remember getting this check for like $74 and thank God Mike Bell was, you know, he was a sandwich pick 
Uh, and so he always had money. And I remember Mike saying, you know, you can borrow some money from me. But, you know, like, I, you know, I wasn't borrowing money from my parents or, you know, anybody else. So uh, it's a it's a crazy time. I mean, I think it really molds and shapes who you are as a person. And uh, there is a band of brotherhood, you know, with guys. You know, I, I think there's a band of brotherhood with people who play junior college baseball and then obviously guys that, you know, played professionally. So, uh, you know, I'm really, you know, very thankful for that opportunity. Um, I wish I wouldn't have got hurt as much as I did. Um, I only knew how to play one way. And I think, you know, if I could go back, you know, there's probably some things that, you know, I would change, but, um, you know, I'm really appreciative of my time in professional baseball. Now you stayed in there for four years, didn't play, unfortunately in, uh, majors with the Rangers, but this was a big trade you were a part of. These are some big names on August 9th of 98, before you make your debut with the Cardinals, you get traded alongside with Darren Ar- Arbor and Fernando Tatis's uh, dad, Fernando Tatis yeah. Sr., for right. Royce Clayton and Todd Stoudemire. That's right. a huge, huge trade. Take yeah, us well, through I was that trade. I player to be named because I had uh, broke my ribs. I think Max Suzuki, he was a pitcher with the Mariners, um, he made it to the big leagues, but I think he hit me with like a 98 mile an hour fastball and broke my ribs. And so I was kind of nursing some broken ribs. And I remember saying, I can play, like, let me play, let me play. Mm. And they were like, go one more day. And so I'd go one more day and then I'd say, Hey, I'm ready to go. And they'd say, Hey, take one more day. And that trade had already happened, but they hadn't named the player to be named. And so, you know, I can just remember sitting, I, we came home from a a game where I, I, you know, once again, I'm saying I can play and, they don't play me and I get a call um, from our farm director, Reed Nichols. And he's like, you know, we just traded to the Cardinals. And which is really a crazy feeling because you kind of feel like, you know, a little dejected. I mean, this organization that had you, but you know, if you can go back and think about it, I mean, Tom Grieve and, and Marty Scott were, you know, the head of player development and obviously the GM for, for the Rangers when I got drafted and when 90 after the 94 season, you know, the Baltimore Orioles staff really became, you know, the Texas Rangers. Doug Melvin became the GM. Yeah. Johnny became the manager. So I was without an organization pretty much my whole career. And so I really felt like everywhere I went, I, you know, I, I always felt like I, you know, like I, somebody has asked me questions before about something. I'm like, I signed 13 one-year contracts. Yeah, I never had a multi-year deal. I played pitch to pitch, game to game, you know, my entire career. And, you know, I think sometimes that gets the best of people. Um, I just tried to make the most of it. Um, I remember there was a scout actually with the Padres, um, and I won't name his name, but I ran into him at a – Cardinals do a really good job with their alumni, and, and so they give – all their alumni, you know, it's like a, a pass and it's like a lifetime pass. You can go in and have access to a lot of different things. And I was in a, in an elevator and this scout saw me and he was like, yeah, you know, I was so, so glad to see you make it. And then in his next sentence, he's like, yeah, you know, I always thought like, I wondered if a guy like you, like kind of a fourth or fifth outfielder, or, you know, you were just like a team guy. You didn't like, you didn't really have any ability, but you know, like you were good for a team. You were like this, and I'm like, what? 
like, what do you mean I didn't have any ability? I mean, I could run. I mean, I ran a six three sixty. So, right. Uh, I mean, there were things that I did, but you know, I understood what he was saying. But you know, I was mad. You know, when when he made those comments. But you know, that's I mean, that's baseball. I mean, it is a business. So, you taste the free agent market for your first time in two thousand season, where you signed with the Rockies on November seventh of two thousand. What was going through your head when you became a free agent? Where you get to sign wherever whoever wants you, you get to sign wherever you want, basically. And I'd I'd love to tell you that I had fifty teams, you know, that didn't exist. There were fifty teams, but you know, knocking on my door. And I remember talking to a couple of teams, but um, Mike Bell, who was the son of Buddy Bell, and Buddy was the manager of of Colorado. Mike and I had played together. Um, you know, from the spring training in 94 all the way through the 97 season. And, and we had become really good friends and Mike had signed with Colorado and Mike, you know, and, and Mike's dad was saying, can, you know, can Mark play because, you know, this is kind of where we see him fitting in the organization. And Mike's like, yeah, I can play. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, they wanted me, you know, to come in as a defensive outfielder and, you know, I, I just looked at it as an opportunity to play with Mike again because I figured if I don't make it to the big leagues, you know, we're going to be in AAA and at least we're going to be on the same team. And, you know, there's not a, a player in the world besides, you know, maybe Gary Bennett um, that I would, you know, want to be on a field with or be in the clubhouse with. And, uh, you know, I think with with Mike signing there before me, you know, it kind of gave me a comfort level. And, you know, I knew with Buddy being there that I I felt like if I went in and performed, I'd get a fair shake. And I had a I don't I didn't have a bad spring training until my last spring training. And if I would have had a good spring training that last year, I probably would have made the team with the with the Marlins in 06. There were probably like five guys all fighting for one spot and not one of us played well. I mean, not one guy like stood out. It was like we were all awful the entire spring. But Every other year, I had a good spring training. I was, you know, always ready to play. I'd always come in, you know, in, in pretty good shape. I mean, I didn't come in and I wasn't going to, you know, win an Olympic race. But, I, you know, I was I was ready to go. And you had to be, you know, if you were always going to be that 25th, you know, guy on the roster. Now, take us through the 2002 season where it looks like, in my, if I'm getting this correct, you had to most- Five swings in six weeks. Yep. Yep, in a sing, yep, single season, entire career with 130. You did it for the Rockies. What do you remember about that year with them? In, in 02? Yeah, in 02. God, I just remember, you know, thinking that was hurt. And so it was kind of like, you know, you know, kind of a, you know, Roberto Kelly was going to be on the team. And I was going to go to AAA, and he never got healthy. And so... You know, they kind of called me in, Thad Levine and, and Buddy and, and you know, Dan O'Dowd and just said, hey, listen, we don't know how long you're going to be here, but make the most of it. And, you know, I just started out on fire. I was hitting over 400 and, you know, got was getting a chance and getting, a you know, at bats against lefties and, you know, coming off the bench. You know, it's kind of like when you start out, you're kind of like the first, you know, guy to come off the bench and pinch hit if the pitcher gets in trouble in the – you know, the fifth inning and, you know, then it's like, you know, you have a little bit of success as a pinch hitter and, you know, your role starts to change and then you can become a, you know, 
you know, a double switch guy later in the game. And and so that was a great year. You know, I ended up hurting. I was, I was hurt in spring training. I had plantar fasciitis and, and I, I did not stop. I didn't take a break because I was, I knew I had a good chance to make the team. And, uh, you know, I started running. I changed the way I ran just to alleviate some pain. And I was started running on the outside of my foot and I ended up break, uh, breaking my fourth metatarsal mm. in, uh, in LA, I actually had to play five innings with a broken foot, which is the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And uh, so come off of that injury, and then I'm in Milwaukee, um, and I just got back to playing. Todd Hollinsworth had gotten hurt. Uh, I was probably going to get a chance to play probably in the month of September. And, you know, I, you know, I was having a good year, and I felt good at the plate. And and I ended up getting my spikes caught in the stairs in Milwaukee mm-hmm. as I'm running out onto the field and I get in a washout game where, you know, Larry Walker basically kind of said uh, to buddy during his at bat, like, you know, I really don't need this at bat. Mm-hmm. And I think Greg Norton was up with like a one and two count. And I'm like scrambling because I should have gone into the game earlier, but didn't. And I remember scrambling, trying to get my batting gloves and my helmet and my bat and everybody's laughing at me. And I remember getting on deck, and I remember right when I got on deck, Greg Norton had hit into an inning-ending double play. And I come back in, and now I'm, like, trying to get ready to go out and play defense. And, you know, I had a baseball in my glove, and I went to flip it out of my glove to Terry Shumpert. And my next step, they had two-by-fours instead of two-by-sixes for the dugout stairs. And I got my spikes caught perfectly in between two boards. And I tripped onto the field and I was embarrassed. I mean, there's 42,000 people in the stand and, you know, I'm embarrassed. And so I jumped up real quick. And when my foot slipped off the step, I ripped the capsule of my big toe and, you know, messed up my FHL and, you know, it was bad. And so that ended my season. I had that surgery and out in uh, Oakland that year, Dr. Mann uh, Jeffrey Mann, you know, Roger Mann's uh, kid did my surgery and, you know, came back in 02 and, you know, still made the club with Colorado. So enjoyed my time in Colorado. Good people, great place to play. That's one of the most beautiful parks that I've been in. Now, what do you remember about this trade? You were traded again to the Mets for a couple good names I, I can see. Uh, you were along with John Thompson. You were uh, traded to them for Jay Payton, Mark Corey, and Robert Stratton. What do you remember about that trade? Well, I remember uh, playing in the Hall of Fame game in Cooperstown. That's, you know, back when you actually played the game in Cooperstown. And so, you know, I, I think I ended up I, – I saw it actually because we went to the Hall of Fame when my kid was 12 and, and we went to Cooperstown. And the curator for um, – Cooperstown, you know, I had called him before I got there and said, Hey, I'm going to be there. And he was like, is there anything neat you want to see? And I said, no, I, there's nothing really neat that I'm interested in, but you know, my, my father-in-law is a huge Roberto Clemente fan. So I was like, if you got anything Roberto Clemente, I'm sure he would be, you know, tickled shitless to see whatever. And so he actually showed me an article from that Hall of Fame game, and I think I went like five for five and hit a couple homers. And you know, John Thompson actually started that game, but there was there was a guy from the Mets, a pro scout, to watch John Thompson because they were going to make that trade. Mm-hmm. And then I had such a good game that you know, in a game that doesn't even count, that they threw me into that trade. So 
spent three glorious days in in New York, and and I, re- I remember we were facing the Diamondbacks, and Brian Anderson was yes, pitching, Diamond, and I yep. thought I, we were facing the Diamondbacks. Yep, that's what it said. Yeah, yep. and I re- I remember I should have started against uh, Brian Anderson and didn't, and I thought that's weird, and I remember the game, the first game of the doubleheader. Um, Edgardo Alfonso, John Ballantin, and Ray Ordonez all got hurt. And they needed a middle infielder. And I, I can't remember who the first base coach was, but I remember him coming up and asking me, can you play second base? And I said, yeah, I can play second base. And he said, okay. And so he walked away and he went down and talked to, you know, to Bobby Valentine and, and he says something to him and he comes walking back and he, he said, when was the last time you played second base? And I was like, well, you know, I've, you know, really never played second base, but I've played, you know, shortstop and that that was high school. And so anyway, that, as soon as I said that I knew something was up. And so we'd been at the park for 15 hours that day after the doubleheader. And I remember sitting around waiting because I knew something was going to go down. And so they ended up calling me into Bobby's office and, um, Oh, was it Steve Phillips? I don't know. I was always one. Steve Phillips was a GM and it was Bobby and the traveling secretary was Jay Horowitz, who's an awesome man. And I remember them saying, Hey, listen, we're going to put you on waivers. There was interest in you at the trade deadline. You know, we think that, you know, you're not going to clear waivers. So we just think you should go back to your hotel and hang out. And my daughter, you know, had just been born that year. She was, you know, like six months old and, I said, no, I'm not sticking around in a hotel in New York City. I said, I'm going home. Yeah. And so they said, or you can go home. And and so they flew me home and uh, I went home. I was actually home for like 14 days because I ended up accepting my assignment to not forfeit my money. And I went to AAA in Norfolk and I think I played in two games and then got traded to the Diamondbacks. So I think I was with the Rockies, the Mets, the Norfolk Tides, went to Pacific Coast League to play for the Tucson Sidewinders, AAA for the D-backs, and then about 11 or 12 days later got called up to the big leagues with uh, the Diamondbacks. So I think I was with five teams in six weeks. Now, take a two-part question. Take us through the day that you get called up for your first big league experience with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um. How'd that experience go about? Who told you were being called up? How was that in that day? Were you like that in that day when you first found out you were getting called up? And when did you ever get your first hit in the big leagues? Oh, well, um, so I I think I was... And hold on, do you remember who it was? Yes, um, and I want to say, I'll answer that first, but is is it Javier Martinez? Yes. You see that? Yeah. Yes. Pittsburgh Pirates can't tell you the day. I'm going to guess that it was September 20th. I don't know. Something like that. But I re- Galen Pitts, I was telling you that story. I, I had hurt my hamstring. We were in a playoff race in AAA, and I hit a ball off the pitcher's leg, and the ball's, you know, going over towards the first baseman. And I'm, like, trying to, you know, I'm trying to leg out a hit, but we're in a game that, you know, we're maybe a half game back. Yeah, it was pretty tight with like Oklahoma Redhawks, I think, at the time. And I ended up pulling my hamstring um, on a hot, you know, summer day in Memphis on a 150 degree turf. And so when I got the call up, 
I was pretty disappointed because I was injured and you know, me getting activated on the, you know, 40, you know, basically the big league roster, but you know, I was on the 40 man roster Yeah, uh, getting an opportunity to play was if I was going to be healthy. And so I had to pass a physical. So, you know, it was, yeah, it was kind of a little bittersweet. Um, You know, Galen Pitts was our manager and, you know, Galen was awesome. A lot of those guys with the Cardinals, just, you know, good, wholesome, you know, dudes, you know, they, they did have a lot of guys from California. So I learned how to play dominoes, um, which is always a lot of fun because we play a lot of dominoes uh, around the the table at Christmas time when we go home Mm -hmm. to Illinois for Christmas. But uh, yeah, Javier Martinez, I remember that game, um, Chris Peters, I got a, start I think he was starting and I my first at bat I just hit a missile um like kind of into left center field and you know guy made a good play and my next at bat I smoked the ball you know to right center field and then I can't remember what maybe I did in my third at bat but I had three really really good at bats and had nothing to show for it and that ball there was actually somebody from Edwardsville which I was about 20 minutes from St. Louis, they were up in the left field bleachers or, you know, like up, you know, up, upper deck left field. And they sent me a picture of it. And you can see the third baseman diving and the shortstop diving in the hole on this ball. I mean, it must've been a, you know, seven or eight hopper um, that made it through the infield. It was the worst hit that, you know, the worst hit ball I had of the night, but that was my first big league hit. I think I was one, I think I was one for, I don't know, maybe twelve or one for thirteen uh, that year. Do you I don't remember, know. I played Randy Johnson twice. Do you remember who your home, first home run ball was, and did you get to keep it? Do you remember first who that was off of too? Chris Peters, Chris Peters, Montreal Expos. Um, that was a game that, like, I don't even think I was supposed to play. I think Larry was like a late scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, his back, or you know, I don't know if there was something with somebody in his family. But, you know, they kind of told me about 20 minutes from the game you're playing. And I remember Denny Nagel's locker was right next to me. And he's just, you know, giving me grief, you know, the whole time. But, um, you know, I got into that game and I remember my first at bat, there was a runner on maybe second base. And all I was trying to do was hit a ball the right side. And I hit a ball and I hit it pretty well. And I thought, well, if nothing else, it's going to be a sack fly. And it went out and, you know, I think, I think I hit a double in my second at bat and then my third at bat, I hit a single and maybe my fourth at bat. That's when people started talking to me about the cycle. And they were like, if you, if you hit a triple or if you hit a double, just keep running. And I think I grounded out um, or maybe, you know, hit into a fielder's choice or something. My fourth at bat and my fifth at bat was actually against Uga Thurbina. And he was throwing, you know, 97, 98. And I can just remember, you know, watching the at-bats before me thinking I was going to get a high fastball. And I was just like, I'm just going to get on top of this. And I hit a ball in right center field. And I was thinking triple, triple, triple. And I, you know, I'd hit for the cycle before, like in college or, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere. And, and, and so I can remember, you know, it being like a fluke you know, when it happens. And I think sometimes it's like, you need a little luck on your side. And I hit that ball to right center. And and I thought that's a triple. I mean, there's no way that that's not a triple and it went out. So I ended up with a two homer game instead of the cycle. 
I'd give up that homer though for the cycle because there's, you know, obviously if you look at those numbers, guys that have hit for the cycle in the big leagues, that's, I think there's been more no hitters than cycles. There has been. Yeah. (laughs) Now your very last game, did you know it was going to be your last game? Did you want to retire after that? Did you know it was going to be your last game in the majors? Take us through that. I didn't, you know, it was funny because, uh, I had, I probably got hurt two years before that, like kind of like a groin injury. And I, you know, it would just kind of flare up, go away, flare up, go away. And so I had been nursing kind of a groin injury all year. Mm-hmm. And I, I was facing Jared Washburn in, uh, Anaheim. And I remember I'm starting in this game and at my first at bat, I, I get a base hit up the middle. And I, you know, round first base, but, you know, come back. And, you know, I, I know I scored because we were beating them pretty bad that game. And I remember Buddy Bell was the bench coach and he goes, what's wrong with you? And I said, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? And he goes, I've never not seen you try to stretch that into a double. Like I've never seen you not try to do that. Like what's going on. I just said, man, I mean, I've been nursing this groin thing all year. And he goes, he, he said something to me like, uh, you know, do better or work harder or something. And so my next at bat, you know, against him was the same thing. I mean, I, I smoked the ball up the middle and I, you know, never stopped, you know, thought about stopping at first base. And I went into second and uh, I ended up getting thrown out, but a buddy was like, there you go. Like, you know, that's what I, re- that's what I remember you. That's, that's, you know, that's why you're here kind of deal. And I think later on in the game, I know that uh, John McDonald was up and he hit a ball up the middle and David Eckstein dove up the middle and made a hell of a play. And I remember thinking, this is a base hit for John unless I can't get to second base. And as I was getting to second base, Adam Kennedy, who was a former teammate of mine with uh, St. Louis, Mm -hmm. you know, was coming across the bag and it was so hot that day and the ground was so hard. I remember thinking I'm going to slide through the bag and I'm going to take out Adam Kennedy. And it looks really bad because we were winning by nine runs. And I, I tried to like roll over on my left side. So when I got to the bag, I could stand up. And when I did, I kind of did the splits and I just blew my groin, which I probably tore my, my labrum in my hip because my hip has been bad ever since. And, uh, you know, I used to do a lot of hip arthroscopy and, and uh, you know, for a medical device company. Mm-hmm. And so talking to those those surgeons, they're like, yeah, you know, there were a lot of misdiagnosed uh, labral tears back in 2000, you know, before 2005. And so, you know, I think at that point, I didn't really think much about it. But, you know, I was on waivers, playing on waivers that day, and they had already called up Grady Sizemore. And so I, Buddy knew I was on waivers. Buddy was just saying, lay it, lay it all out on the line. So, uh, you know, so, yeah, I don't think at that point I thought this was going to be it. We, you know, ended up going back to AAA. Um, and, you know, the, actually the, the Indians took me off the roster after that injury instead of putting me on the 60-day DL. And I can remember Eric Wedge having that conversation saying, you know, you know, you don't want to go on the 60 day DL. And I'm like, you know, I don't because, you know, I've already been injured, but, um, I want 
what's fair. I have rights, you know, as a, you know, member of a union and everything else. And he just said, listen, you know, if you're hurt and we don't have the results from your MRI yet, but if you're hurt worse than what we think you are, you know, we'll reinstate you on the roster and put you on the 60 day DL. And they tried to do that. And I think the Dodgers have maybe tried to do that with Hideo Nomo back in the day and major league baseball stepped in and said, no, you can't, that sets a precedent. Um, and they said, you can't do that for Mark, but they said, you do it. You have to release him. And so the Indians released me. And so I ended up getting all of my money. I got all my big league money, but I didn't get the big league service time, which, you know, stunk. Um, but they, you know, they wanted me to stay in the organization and they wanted to take care of my rehab. So they actually signed me back to a minor league contract. So I was actually getting two paychecks from the Cleveland Indians at the time and went back to Buffalo. And I knew we were going to win a championship in Buffalo. That team just had that feel just like I was, you know, we were talking about the 06 Cardinals. And, and so it went back and, you know, we ended up winning the governor's cup that year and, you know, made some really good friends. Mike Buchkowski is, you know, the, uh, he's probably the president. I'm, I would call him the GM, but um, he's, he's probably the president and general manager of the Buffalo Bisons and the rich family in Buffalo. And that city is just unbelievable. I mean, I was really pulling for Buffalo um, this postseason, the NFL, because there's just so many good people around it. And the sports fans are, you know, just that great. It was always fun going in there and playing against them. And it was great to win a championship for that city. So I got a couple more questions before we end it. Um, every every baseball player I I ask this to, question to because I'm c- kind of curious on, and they tell me a moment. Uh, is there a moment that you're like, yeah, I actually made it to the majors. This is my besides the call up and your first hit, home run, etc., and your last game. Is there a moment that you can remember that was, yes, I finally made it to the big leagues. This is my big league moment. Well, I think that game that I hit two home runs in Colorado would be like kind of my, you know, coming out party or maybe that defining moment. But, you know, I always felt like I could play and I was a better hitter against right-handed pitching um, than left-handed pitching. And, you know, it's unfortunate, like when you're, you're, kind of in tandem with a guy like Juan Pierre, um, you know, Juan was going to play against righties and I was going to play against lefties. And, you know, there were obviously fewer lefties than there were righties, but I got used to get hit, you know, 15 to 20 times a year. And so I didn't, you know, I, I, I wish I would have had a chance to kind of play every day because, you know, I think it would have been different than, it's hard to, to sit on the bench for a week and then right, right. come out and, and, you know, play against, you know, Tom Glavin or Randy Johnson. Um, and there's guys that, I mean, like the stuff that Joe McEwing did at the beginning of his career is just phenomenal. I mean, that guy owned Randy Johnson and, you know, he raked left-handed pitching and that just wasn't me. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, everybody's got some different opportunity and, and, you know, you got to make the most of it. And obviously I got injured and, and, you know, didn't get a chance, I, you know, to play, uh, you know, like kind of in, in an everyday role, but it would have been fun. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I, you know, I, I think I remember sitting my son down and we were going through, I think at the time, and this was, I mean, this was several years ago. I think now there's over 20,000 people that have played in the big leagues 
Um, and I know Jeff Fry had posted, you know, what's your number? And so you can get on baseball reference and you can find what your, like you were this. Yeah, I, was I, this I, I had him last episode. Yeah. So I know, oh, you did? I know him. Yep. Yeah. So I, mine was like, I think I was the 17,000th. Maybe I was a little less than that. Maybe I'm, I'm confusing the story that I told my son. Did you ever play against him? Jeff Fry? No. Uh-uh. Nope. A little older. And I caught a lot of older guys. Um, he might have been in Toronto maybe in 02 when I was with the Rockies and we went into play, so I played against him. Mm-hmm. But did, didn't ever play with him. Um, you know, he – you know – I know that they were at the, there was a big coaches association deal in Illinois. And so he was there, Gary Bennett and Bobby Stevens. And, you know, there was a, you know, I, somebody sent me a, a, a video of an argument with Gary Bennett and Bobby Stevens. And, you know, they're talking about like, it's kind of this old school versus new school hitting. And, you know, it's such a hot topic right now. And, and so it's interesting. And I like listening to all the people. I, I try to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I think there's, I understand where these new school guys come from, you know, because they break down video and they show what a guy's doing, but that's not what he's thinking. Yeah. That's not what he's trying to do. It's just, that's what ends up happening. And so you can't teach what's happening. It's like, you've got to teach what, you know, is going to help you get the bat to the ball. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I'm sure you know, there's some guys that made a lot of money off of, you know, teaching a new school way of doing things and, you know, maybe trying to take a kid who, you know, maybe wouldn't have a chance, but I'm going to teach you this new way and what the big leaders are doing. And, you know, who knows? Now, so, like you said, you were primarily a bench player. Unfortunately, you didn't right? get to start a lot because of injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, take us through that as a mindset of a bench player how difficult is it to be a bench hitter? Because you're you're cold coming off the bat. A guy that's well known for it is the DH, like David Ortiz and them. They're well known for that, right? And Jose Canseco and all them that hit DH. But right. for you that was spent primarily in the NL, how difficult is it to be a pitch be a pitch hitter and come off the bench? Oh my God, crazy! And, and um, I think it was Pat Kelly when when I was. Um, with the Cardinals, I remember him kind of saying, like, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to get up. About the third inning, you need to start moving around. You need to at least show that you're ready to come in. There's no way in hell that LaRusso is going to hit you. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got to act like you're ready. It's like a game, you know. And so – and here's a funny story. I'll tell you this funny story real quick. But I remember in St. Louis, I remember, you know, playing that game, like, I'm ready to go in, coach. I, I can remember, like – all these guys, all these September call-ups being ready to go in the game. And then like Brian Jordan would be sitting on the bench with a pair of tennis shoes on mm-hmm. and he'd tell Brian Jordan to go hit. Mm-hmm. Brian Jordan's like, what? You know, like, why am I pinch hitting? You know, like you got all these other guys chomping at the bit to get out there and play in September. We're not in the, you know, any playoff race or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but I remember pretending and acting like I'm ready to go out there and play and get ready to play. And I remember, um, you know, uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but I remember a, a player who had probably six or seven years in the big leagues right now. Um, saying like, Hey man, you're going to get your first big league hit this year. You know, this is going to be awesome. I'm so excited for you. 
you know, this, God, this is going to be awesome. You get your first big league hit. And I can remember asking this player who had like six or seven years, you know, in the big leagues at that time, like, you know, and he had come over from uh, Kansas city and I'm going to, so tank, I played with two guys with the same last name. And there's probably people watching this right now. They're going, I can't, you've heard, told the story so many times. Like, I can't believe you can't think of his name. Um, and I know it's David. Um, shoot. But anyway, this guy had a torn rotator cuff and, you know, was, didn't really look like a position player. And he, and he did all the fantasy golf and fantasy football and he always had a backpack. And I'm like, this guy was a, a he must be a pitcher. And then, so I, I'm like, interleague play had just started i don't know if this guy's got a hit because he's i think he's a relief pitcher i'd know him if he was a starter and uh so i just asked him like do you have a hit in the big leagues and he's like do i have a hit in the big leagues like what the hell are you talking about do i have a hit in the big leagues he's like yeah i got a hit in the big leagues he's like hell i got a home run off of nolan ryan shit i got two home runs off of nolan ryan do i have a hit in the big leagues and so he's basically walking around you know telling everybody that I asked him if he had a hit in the big leagues. And so, I mean, I can see like, he's talking to Dave Parker and he's talking to Carney Lansford and I'm just like, man, this is bad. You know, this is going to be really bad. And so I remember after that game, you know, so here I am from like the third inning on, I'm ready to get in the game. I'm ready to play. Tony never calls on me to go into the game. And so after the game, I'm sitting there and I'm eating and Tony LaRusso walks in after his press conference. And he says, you know, I'm going to get you a shirt that says IF on it. And uh, I'm like, IF, like, like IF for like, just in case, like we used to call it ejected. <laughs> if you went to a spring training, like you had to take a trip in spring training and you knew you weren't going to play. You were, you were jicking, you were just in case. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I said, IF like for like, you mean like just in case? Cause I thought maybe Tony felt bad that I had been getting ready to go into the game and play all these innings and he never put me in. And he goes, no, 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 not for, you know, just in case he goes, I F for idiot fuck because you're a fucking idiot. He said, how in the hell did you think David Howard? So I had to say the story. He said, how in the hell did you think David Howard didn't have a hit in the big leagues? He said, did you think he was over 3000? And I said, no, Tony, I didn't think he was over 3000. I thought he was a pitcher. And he goes, that's effing worse. You're a fucking idiot. And he just screaming and yelling and everybody in the clubhouse is cracking up laughing. And and I'm just eating like, you know, trying to dig a hole and, and hide under my plate. And I remember Willie McGee walking up to me and Willie was like, and I think I started to tell Willie at one point, like, dude, you were like 1982, like Cardinals, like Willie was my guy. Uh-huh. I mean, he made that catch in, in County Stadium in Milwaukee and, and, you know, I said, Willie, you're my, and he's like, shut up. Don't say it. And I was like, no, really. I want you know, you're my, and he's like, shut up, Mark. Don't say anything. And, and so, uh, Willie walked up to me after Tony had wore me out and Willie said, Hey, listen, he goes, I didn't know who David Howard was when he got here because he had gotten traded over from the Royals. But he said, and he goes, and I've been playing for 18 years. And I said, well, damn, Willie, you could have at least stood up for me. You could have said something. And and he was like, no, that it was too it was too much fun to watch him wear you out. So anyway, sorry, David Howard. I you know, I'm early onset Alzheimer's brother. So I knew if I told this story, his name would come out. So So let's see. Now 
Now, sorry, it, I cussed on your on your I show. I don't care. It's a podcast. It's either yeah. way. It don't matter. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is actually going to be the last couple questions, for real this time. The the set the first one is, um, who along the line, manager wise, player wise, whoever was that your time in the majors, minors, etc., whatever. Helped you along the way to help you get to where you were at in the big leagues. Um, God, from like a minor league perspective, you know, Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones was my uh, manager, Double A. I think he made my first spring training. He ran our working group. Um, Bobby's, you know, from Maryland. Uh, every other word out of his mouth is the F word, and. Uh, you know, I got great Bobby Jones stories, but you know, Bobby was the guy that you know. I I can't tell, tell you what, what round Bobby. I'll tell you what you can text you can text those stories to me, so I'll stay in touch. With okay, you. there you go. Yeah, yeah. But Bobby Jones later. got Bobby Jones got drafted to play baseball. I think he got drafted by the Rangers, but um, he got drafted to play for the Rangers, and then the next year he got drafted into the Army. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I can remember him telling stories like during rain delays about what that felt like. And, you know, he went into the military and he was saying he wanted military police. And basically, you know, you would put in for what you wanted, but 80% of the people were going to get infantry and you were screwed if you were infantry. And, Mm -hmm. and so I remember Bobby saying he wanted to be military police. And I remember some commanding officer saying, you're never going to get military police unless I don't know if he was saying at the time. And I know I'm screwing this up, but like, you know, you need to enlist and you need to give me two years of service and you'll get military police. And Bobby's like, screw that. I'm not doing that. He goes, I'll take my chances. Mm. And so he, you know, I think he put in for artillery or he put in for military police. He ended up getting artillery. And so you know, he spent a year over in Vietnam and he used to tell stories about what it was like being in, you know, battles in Vietnam. And, you're, you know, he's telling stories and he's talking about people that, you know, died that were on his team. And, you know, it's just so you're, you're sitting there in a clubhouse in double A thinking about how you're going to get a hit tonight and you're worried about it. And here's a man that got drafted and then got drafted, you know, you know, to fight for our country and watched all this tragedy around him. And then, you know, here he thought he was going to die every day. Yeah. And so I can remember like thinking at that time, like, gosh, you know, I'm not battling some terminal disease. I'm not fighting in a war. I'm just playing baseball. Yeah. And so that really helped me. I think it helped me as a, you know, minor league season is a long season and it's hard. And, but I think it helped me to kind of put it into perspective and to go, you know what, there's so many other things that I can do. And I can remember my dad telling me as a kid, you know, like I would say something was hard or something, you know, like maybe I didn't want to do it. And my my dad would say, you know, the world needs, you know, ditch diggers too. And I can remember going, yeah, you're right. You know, like, I need to work harder. I need to do whatever. And and then Bobby putting it into perspective about playing. And so, you know, he would, he had this, I don't know how much baseball I learned from him, but I can remember being down three runs in a game 
and, and Bobby would come into the dugout and he'd say, I'll tell you what, we don't fucking score. We ain't going to win. This yeah. simple as that. Yeah. And he, it, it would just disarm everybody, you know, because everybody wanted to win. But we were just thinking like it was just funny the way he said it, the way it was just like it was so. Yeah, it's, that's the truth. If we don't score, we ain't going to win. And I don't know how many times that I've said that. And my son says it now. It's just like, you know, if we if we don't score, we're, we're not going to win. And and uh, and so I learned that from him. And, I, you know, you know, I owe him a ton of credit for, you know, where I got to. And then obviously at the big league level, um, you know, I think Buddy Bell, I think Buddy Buddy was just like, you know, quit making excuses. Don't make excuses. Like, if you know, if you screw up, just come in and say, my bad, coach. <laughs> and, and, you know, nobody in professional baseball, nobody wants to be called, you know, Coach Bell. Yeah, but that was like right. a funny thing to say to him. And, and so I can remember, you know, being on, you know, the bench and being injured in Colorado. And I remember thinking, you know, the next time I get out in center field and a guy hits a base hit up the middle, I'm throwing the, I'm throwing the next guy out at the plate. And, and so I remember getting into the game, the first game back. I remember in the first inning and, and I get a ball hit to me and I come flying up to field it totally out of control. And I try to set my feet and make a throw. And I almost threw a ball into the stands from center field. I mean, it hit about six inches from going into the stands and the run scored and one runner moved up, but nothing else bad happened. And I can remember running off the field and I'm going to, you know, like lead off the next inning. And I remember buddy being so mad at me because that's always what it was. You got to hit your cutoff, man. You got to throw it through the cutoff, man. And I remember him saying, you know, and not so many kind words, like, what were you thinking? And I just said, I wasn't, um, but, you know, my bad coach, you know, kind of deal. And he, I remember him laughing and he wanted to be so mad at me, but he, you know, he, he couldn't be when I said, I told him what he wanted to hear, but you know, I, I screwed up my bad coach. And uh, I don't think I said it's not going to happen again. Cause I knew it would probably happen again at some point. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said when you, I think when you finally learn, it's like, you know, there's no excuses, you know, you either do it or you don't do it. And if you don't do it, you know, you work harder and you do better the next time. And, and, you know, don't blame something else. Don't, you know, don't, don't blame someone or, you know, something that you did or what you thought. It just, you know, just own up to it. And so, you know, I appreciate, you know, and I, I think that's, I've taken that with me in you know, my medical device career. So now my final question to you is it's a two part question. I ask this to everybody. So whatever you can come up with, come up with. The first part of the question is if you were a coach today, coaching kids, and you were primarily a bench player, what would you do? What would you tell them coming into the big leagues if they are coming into big leagues or are playing ball in college, high school, whatever? Uh, what would you tell them to coach them to get ready for it? And the second part is define your career in one word. Wow. Um, so I would say to anybody that was like, you know, maybe sliding into my role or, you know, you were going to be a bench player or a role player. I mean, you got to figure out ways to stay ready and to get ready. Um, Terry Shumpert and I used to have like, 
massive cage battles where, you know, we would sit in chairs and throw balls as hard as we could at each other, trying to, you know, simulate speed from a, you know, or velocity from a, from a big league pitcher. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's a totally different game. I mean, it's, it's almost like, you know, when you're, when you're an everyday starter, you're trying to get ready to go right at seven o'clock. And when you're a bench player, you can't get ready to play at seven o'clock because you're trying to get ready to play at seven o'clock and then you got ready, you know, to play at eight 30 and then you might not get in until nine. And so you yeah. kind of have to learn how to pace yourself and then learn how to really get ready on your own. Um, Colorado was great cause they had a sauna. And so you could, I would like run around and sprint. I would go get on the treadmill. We had like one of those, you know, true way treadmills with it. It was like a tank track and then, you know, it had, you know, big speed or you can pull the magnet and run as fast as you wanted. So I could get on that and run and then go sit in the sauna and start sweating because I wanted to feel like when I got in the game that I would had already been in the game. Yeah. And so sweating was a big key for me was just to, it was like, I, I need to feel like my shirt's a little drenched. Like I've been out here doing it the whole time. Um, film, you know, watching a lot of film, you know, watching what, you know, Hey, these are the lefties that they have. I mean, um, that helped a lot. And that's, you know, gotten so much better since, you know, when I was playing. Um, but, you know, I said, you, you know, you got to be a student of the game. And, you know, like I think you look at a guy like Tom Brady and you can understand that. I mean, exactly, you know, yep. as a dance player, that's what, you know, that's kind of what you have to do. You got to be ready for like any scenario and you got to know what the other team's equipped with. Um, God, one word. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I would have to say like perseverance. I mean, I battled through a lot of injuries yeah. and, um, you know, I, I don't know. You just, you can't get through a minor league season of 144 games and, you know, bus rides and no money and, you know, crummy meals. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, you listen to this banner that's going on right now with these kind of old school guys like me that play and you're like, God, I, you know, I did all those things and I was just grateful but I can also remember being in double A and making $7,000 that year when I was in double A and I had a really good year. And yeah. I remember yep. the Rangers saying, you know, Mark needs to go to instructional league. And I remember my agent having a conversation with Reed Nichols saying, Mark needs to get a job this off season. Mark doesn't need to go to, you know, instructional league. And they were like, well, Mark was hurt at the end of the season. Mark needs to show the Rangers that he's ready to play. And, I remember my agent saying something like, well, if you don't think he's ready to play and you don't want to put him on the roster, don't put him on the roster and see what happens. And I ended up going to instructional league and, you know, everything worked out. I got put on the roster that year, but you know, that's real. I mean, you know, minor league players, like I worked for my in-laws, they had a construction business. And I think I was the December employee of the month in 1996. And I got a t-shirt that said attaboy on it, but that was, that was real. I mean, I can remember like telling my father-in-law and he wasn't my father-in-law at the time because I was just dating my wife. But I remember saying like, Hey Jeff, like I need to leave at three o'clock. So what else do you need me to do? He's like, well, you need to leave at three o'clock. Like you can't quit until five. And I'm like, cause I still have to go lift. And I have to go hit. Yeah. And well, he'd be like, okay, move all those shingles from that pile over here, you know, kind of deal. And it's like kind of backbreaking labor and, and, you know, the, but there's so many guys that came up around my time. I remember Steve Beezer, who's a head coach at Missouri, 
when he got called up to the big leagues with the Mets, he had this cult following of like all these truck drivers and these, you know, welders and plumbers. And these guys were all like, they love Steve Beezer because the Mets had run this story in the off season. He drove an 18 wheeler for this company called Beelman, who was like an excavating company. Um, you know, like they would pave a road and they would haul off the dirt that they removed, you know, before they poured the concrete. And so here they run this story that, that Steve's a, you know, a 18 wheel truck driver. And, and so I think people think, well, he was a truck driver that made it as a baseball player. It's like, no, he's a baseball player and a really good baseball player that made it to the big leagues and, you know, to make ends meet because he had a family and, you know, everything else and he's not making any money in the minor leagues. You got to work a full-time job in the off season. So it's, you know, perseverance. I mean, I, I probably, most people would say something like that. Um, you know, we always, we talk about how, how usually people don't remember you when you leave or when you're done. Like, I don't think 2007 season rolled around and my teammates were, you know, missing me as a player. Um, but I, I think what's really important are the relationships and the bonds that you make in that clubhouse. And, Thank you know, you as a player on, on a team with somebody and, you know, I hope that I was remembered as, you know, a, a good teammate and, you know, somebody that always had, you know, my teammates backs. And, you know, I think a lot of the people that I, I still associate with and, you know, that I was teammates with, you know, I feel the same way about them. So I couldn't agree more. Well, I got to say this before we get off. Yeah. Please please follow for who's ever viewed this, whoever is. You can help me with this too after the episode when I send it to you. Please follow me on Twitter at Coffee Time with Byron. It was fun. Uh, also, Thanks, Byron. Also, you'll find Go Shockers, baby. There you go. You'll find Go Shockers. There's my plug for the Shockers and Eric Wedge. There you go. Uh, but yeah, good good friend of ours that played with my son last year, starting his freshman season at uh, Wichita State. And my son's committed to go there, so uh, expecting big things out of the Shockers this year. Go. So go Shockers! Congratulations! So like yeah, I said, you. follow on YouTube as well, like most of you just seen and viewed as viewed. Follow follow us Coffee Time on the same as Twitter as well at Coffee Time. The podcast Coffee Time with Byron. All available podcasts, Google, Spotify, you name it, follow it if you like what you see. Thanks again, Mark. I'll be texting you. Awesome, Byron. Uh, you t- tell me more of those stories in a, uh, later on. So <laughs> yeah, I will. And I will. have to buy my book when it comes out. There you go. And especially, especially when I send this, share the episode too, so people can know where I will. to follow me as well. So it's I will. Awesome. Thank you. I thank you again. It was fun. So this concludes episode number 81 with Mark Little. Have a good night and stay safe out there. Okay, Mark? Will, thank you. No problem. See you. Bye. Bye.